Welcome to another podcast from the Rotary and Community Services radio show, which is now in its 12th year. Our show is heard every Friday between 6 and 8 p.m. on Community Radio Station 94.1 FM, 3WBC, and it's also streamed live on the World Wide Web at www.3wbc.org.au. Here is a recorded interview, first played on the 10th of August, 2018, by Ian Salick with Neville John, past District Governor of District 9800 and currently Director of Membership in 2018-19. This is 94.1 FM 3WBC, the voice of the Inner East, and you're listening to the Rotary and Community Services radio show with Ian Salick right through until 8 o'clock tonight. Now it's my great pleasure to welcome back to the program yet another wonderfully committed Rotarian, the hard-working humanitarian and past district governor of Rotary District 9800, Neville John. Neville has had so many roles in Rotary, which he capped off by becoming the very popular, well-liked and respected district governor in 2016-17. Now, two governors on, Past his own governor's year, he has returned to the district board, serving as its vice-governor and, very importantly, as the director of membership. Neville, a very warm welcome to the 94.1 FM 3WBC microphone. Thank you, Ian. It's my great pleasure to be back. As usual this evening, we will be having two interview segments with Neville. The first will be to briefly find out about the man which we did when we last spoke to Neville. However, it's a good thing to recap, and we're going to do that with Neville tonight. And if you have not heard Neville John before, it is a good opportunity to find out about him. Then in the second segment, we're going to talk to Neville about the vital membership role in Rotary that he currently has. That is how best to retain membership, recruit it, and importantly, how to go about joining a Rotary Club that suits you. Well, Neville, first of all, where were you born and was yours a large family? Ian, I'm a local lad. I was born in Melbourne to what you would call these days a large family. There were five children. I'm a second, uh, four boys and one girl. That is a large family. (laughs) These days it's called a large family. It certainly is. And did you go to school in Melbourne? I did indeed. I could walk to school uh, at primary level, so I went to the Reservoir West Primary School and it had a motto of respect and care for others. Now that's interesting, Neville, because quite often the schooling of some of my interviewees has been a very, very uh, momentous moment in their lives in terms of what they've gone on to do in Rotary. So did you do any community service at uh, any of your schools? Not so much at school. When I went to secondary school, it was a Preston Technical College, but once again the theme continued where their school motto was service and goodwill. So we did a lot of community things within the school environment, but also our parents were very uh, important drivers of our community mentality. When the first European family arrived in our street, uh, I would have been about 11 years old, and the first thing my parents did was to knock on their door and take a plate of food 
and welcome them to our community. That is a, a, a marvellous introduction to being part of the community and perhaps that has generated what you've gone on to do. Neville, you went to school, then you went on to tertiary study. Yes, I studied at RMIT University. I did a diploma of business studies, specialising in accounting with a minor in legal, and uh, then went into the accounting profession thereafter. And you started your own business or did you work for uh, an employer? I started off with a mid-sized accounting firm in the CBD. Uh, when I started, they had about 25 staff. And when I finished, 32 years later, we had over 200. So you helped to build up the business then? I was part of it. I'm sure you were very much part <laughs> of it. And now coming to Rotary, when did you join Rotary? I joined Rotary in June 1995, at probably the busiest time in my life. Young teenage children, uh, um, a lot of client work to be responsible for, and I'd only recently been appointed the managing partner of our practice. So June 1995, the club at that time was called Port Phillip, now known as Central Melbourne. And you've been at Central Melbourne since that time? All of that time. Um, a very soft start. As I said, it was the busiest time of my life. And when I was invited to join, uh, my suitor said to me, would you like to join Central Melbourne or Port Phillip? I said, I don't have time. And his response to me was, we'll take what you've got. And that's a theme that I'm aware of that you've used ever since, especially in your district governor's year. That's something that you've talked about in terms of people joining Rotary, because quite often, is it not, that's some, something that is said to you, I don't have time. People's perception is that Rotary is going to take up too much of their time. And we're respectful of the value of their time. But what uh, Richard Stone said to me was so profound that I could not deny him whatever time I had. And he was your early mentor and yes, he, he was. introduced you to the club. He Richard was Stone. the chief manager of the Westpac Bank at the time. and. Therefore, he did, he did um, command some respect. Well, I think that's a great thing to take on, and I'm sure now in your new role as a director of uh, membership that you'll be talking about that, and we will cover that a little later when we chat. Uh, just coming back to Central Melbourne, uh, which was initially called, I know, Central Melbourne Sunrise, but now Central Melbourne, um, what mo motivated you in the first place to join? Was it Richard Stone or was it something that you'd heard personally about Rotary that uh, made you make that move? Initially it was Richard because he introduced me to club activities. But then it became the respect that I had for the professional way in which that club conducted its uh, community work. Uh, mostly people who worked in the CBD and lived in the suburbs. So very different to what you would regard as the usual community uh, club out of the suburbs. We didn't live in the area in which we conducted our community activities. But it was really the professionalism of that club. And I must say, with a, to be honest, there was the potential for business networking in that sort of environment. So that, there was some appeal to that, but I soon found out that really the, uh, the, the ability to help others through collective minds who think alike was the more compelling reason. Well, 
there's nothing to be uh, ashamed of in terms of the reason for joining Rotary because of networking, because actually Rotary started on that premise, didn't it? It did indeed. In 1905 with Paul Harris. It did indeed, and it didn't take too long for that to change because some few years in, probably five or six, Paul Harris did invite a very prominent business person in Chicago to join. He asked, what would I be doing? And when he heard that he was just be going to a fellowship of lunches, he said, well, not enough for me. I want to be able to do something. So the very first Rotary project is often quoted as being a public convenience in Chicago. But actually the first Rotary project was to replace the horse from the horse and cart of the doctor that used to go around helping people in the town. The horse died and they threw the hat around and they gathered enough money at the lunch to buy a new horse for the doctor. What an extraordinary story. It is. Not many people know that, but it's actually a true story. Yes, that is just an amazing story. Um, What an interesting genesis of Rotary. You know, I've certainly heard about the public convenience, but the horse is something new, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners, both Rotarians and non-Rotarians, would be fascinated with that genesis of Rotary. Imagine what the young ones think of that. Yes, well, they probably provide a car, or in fact, they do provide vehicles we these do, days, buses don't they? and all sorts of things. That's exactly right. So it probably has moved on a little bit. Now, uh, Central Melbourne, how many members do they have? At the moment, there are 62 active members and 29% of those are women, which is a much improved position from, say, five years ago, where it was probably in the low 20s. And there is some concentrated focus on identifying women we know in our networks and making a point of inviting them to come along and find out about what the club is doing. Because we are really working on that basis of attracting um, both genders and we're working obviously on the premise of diversity within clubs, are we not? Well, Rotary ought to be a reflection of its community. And if you look around the suburbs and in fact the CBD, if we ask ourselves what sort of faces do we see, We then need to look into our uh, club and ask the question, are they the same faces? And if there's some sort of uh, diversity gap, then I think it's it's up to us to really do something about that. And remedy that. And reach into those communities that we don't have, because more diversity leads to a better reflection of what the community values are and what community projects that they will Uh, they will want Rotary to do. And Neville, where does Central Melbourne meet? We've always met for 32 years at the RACV City Club. It's great for young business people. Even when it was in Queen Street, uh, when it became very tired, um, the RACV moved around the corner into Burke Street. We went with them. And we don't regret that, Ian, because it is itself a very professional outfit and they provide us with a total package of um, facilities that we need to project our Rotary Club to the CBD. I think that's very important. It becomes a matching exercise to the, uh, to the surrounding businesses in the city. And the other good thing about it is when you meet. Yeah, we meet for breakfast. And that is deliberate. 
Um, we meet on a Tuesday morning for breakfast. It used to be Mondays, but then we had a growing number of our members who had holiday homes down by the beach. And as they twilighted <laughs> into retirement, many of them would spend Mondays an extended weekend. The long weekend. And so Mondays became less appealing and we decided as a club to move it to Tuesday. But breakfast, we start at 7.40 and we finish at 8.45 without fail. And that generally sees our active members that are working back in their office by 9am. It's good thinking and uh, a lot of members obviously going into the city to work. It makes sense to go in a little earlier, have breakfast, uh, with a, a wonderful organisation and actually make a contribution and work on making a contrib contribution as well. So the idea of that club and its breakfast meeting, how, about how many clubs in the district have breakfast meetings, Neville? Three. Three, and you're one of them. Yes. Um, Neville, moving on, if we can, to the roles that you've had uh, before you became district governor. What did you do in your club? It started in 2002-03, Ian, when I served as club president. And that was in the year of the Rotary theme, Sow the Seeds of Love, which um, brought about a lot of um, heart, heart, heartache for me with some of our cheeky members uh, playing with that theme. But 2002-03 was the beginning. And then beyond that, I applied to be a group study exchange team leader to District 1160 in Ireland. And I was fortunate enough to be successful with that application. So 2003, I led a, a wonderful team of four young people um, to a vocational exchange in Ireland. And I mean North, Northern Ireland and the Republic. There is only one district in Ireland that, that represents that whole landmass. And that is the only organisation that I'm aware of, football, soccer and all of those, each have Northern Ireland and Republic of Ireland teams. Rotary is the only organisation that I became aware of that is represented by one organisation in Ireland. So they are the precursors of unity in Ireland. No That's doubt. A, a great thing. Uh, so how long did that tour take? We were away for 35 days. That's a very long, tiring. That's a long trip. I know these sort of exchanges today still occur, but they don't occur for as long, do they? No, they don't. They are very much concentrated vocational exchanges, uh, quite much shorter in time. Um, so, but look, that led to other things. As soon as I came back, they asked me to chair that committee. So I did that for four years. Then I was asked to serve as an assistant governor um, of the Riverside Group, which your club is part. And that's, of course, how I got to meet you. The Rotary Club of Glen Ferry, which I'm proudly a member of. Well, you were president in my first year as assistant governor, and we had a wonderful time, and I've retained the friendships with all of those past presidents. And then beyond that, I was asked to serve as youth service uh, director, and that is probably the most uh, responsible role that I've ever had, apart from governor, where we have charge of a number of youth programs involving under 18 year old students. And as you well know, um, there's quite a lot of uh, due diligence that needs to be done around those programs. But we believe strongly in the development of our future leaders. We believe strongly that our young people need to be given these opportunities. And 
it was all worth that effort. So that includes youth exchange and other development programs for under 18 year olds. And then advanced leadership programs like the Rotary Youth Leadership Awards that are from 18 to 25 year olds. Because we want them to understand what it is the Rotary does. Because as you well know, we, we work nine to five, Monday to Friday. We've got our families back home and the order of priorities, family first, career next. And then whatever time we have available for Rotary, we, we, give, we give what we can. So for me, it's been quite a journey. Well, it's great to get to know you a little better and what were your beginnings in Rotary. Uh, importantly, Neville, when we come back, I want to talk to you about Rotary membership and the work you're doing as the membership director in District 9800. Uh, as I said in the introduction, uh, that is really concerning how best to retain membership, how to recruit it, and actually how to go about joining a club out there in listening land. So this is important. When we come back, I'd like you to give us your update in terms of what you're currently doing with Rotary. Welcome back. We're talking with past District Governor Neville John of District 9800. And Neville this year, besides his role as Vice Governor, is very importantly Director of Membership, a huge role to ensure the continuity of Rotary. Well, Neville, how is the health in terms of membership numbers in District 9800? Ian, District 9800 is the largest district by number of Rotarians in Australia. At around 2200 or more members, in 65 clubs in parts of Victoria. I set a fairly high task bar for membership and therefore I always believe it can be better. The district was once upon a time over 3,000 members. So you can see that over probably a decade or more that we have had some attrition um, and I think that's more representative of the generational age of Rotarians that are um, over all of the years. Rotary is 96 years old or 97 years old in Australia. That over that period of time, you've seen the baby boom start to retire in large numbers. And that affects every organisation, including Rotary. So that's what I would have to say. But the clubs that are there, Ian, are doing wonderful work. I'm sure they are. Importantly, though, uh, you will have formed some clear ideas of what you specifically want to prioritise in terms of your membership portfolio. But what are your main aims in this 18, 19 year? Well, look, being an accountant, I could give you a number and say that I'd love to see our district back over 3,000 members. But of course, that's a lofty goal and you need to work out how you're going to achieve this. And when the Rotary Clubs have the autonomy within themselves to do that, then we need to be smart about how we engage with them and showing them some of the strategies and processes they can use. And if you do that carefully and wisely, that sort of number can evolve. Indeed. It's so amazing how quickly things can turn around. As I said before, uh, my own club, uh, we've had 24 new members in two years and now we're up to 62 members. 
that's a lot of new people to bring into Rotary in a very short space of time. It brings with us the challenges of engaging them, but we're up for that challenge. So if one club can do that, and we're only a club of 45 at the beginning of that, then there are more clubs if they adopt the process that suits them that, that can do that as well. And what I distill the key elements that I believe drive as membership, membership being an outcome, is that I simply state that vibrant clubs provide opportunities for its members and other community stakeholders to engage in a range of interesting humanitarian projects that promote what Rotary does to make a difference to the lives of others. Those are the key elements of membership recruitment and retention. If we have something of value to them, they will come and they will stay. But don't just say we want to grow membership and not think about how you're going to do that. Absolutely correct. So what can individual clubs do differently? And your club, Central Melbourne, I'm well aware now, is doing something that is different. But what can clubs do? There are a raft of possibilities for the way they go about recruiting, retaining and recruiting new members. Perhaps you might like to give us some good oil on that. I'm happy to do that. I think the very first thing they should start with is to develop a process by which they are going to achieve their goals. So for example, ask themselves the question, where do we want our club to be in three years time? What do we want it to look like, sound like and feel like? How many members do we want? If we clarify what it is that we see at the end of, an, of a process, then we are more likely to achieve our outcomes. So the things they can be doing differently is for every member to have a discussion about the role they can play in the process of retaining and attracting new members. I'm so pleased to hear you say that because Neville, it's not about just the leaders in the clubs or the membership director in the club or the membership director in the district doing things. This has got to be an all persons activity. Well, <clears throat> if it's to be, it's up to me is a, a famous quote from someone I can't re recall, but every member has a responsibility to build the future of something that they've benefited from. A lot of our clubs are well over 50 years old, so there have been others that have been the custodians of these wonderful clubs, and it's now up to us to build the future for Rotary and our clubs, one by one. And if each club can do that, then I think we can achieve the objective of having over 3,000 members back in our district. Not because that's a number that we just pluck out of the air, but because our clubs will have a goal that it feels best suits it. To genuinely work towards. Now, you're doing something innovative at your club. Can you share that with us? I'm happy to do that. We were looking at building a, rebuilding a presence of Rotary down in Docklands as our Melbourne City Council and Victorian Government are very keen to see Docklands develop into a community. We did have a presence there and unfortunately a year or so ago that ceased to be. But all of the demographic studies of Docklands and its future growth indicated that there could be, um, with the right structure and support, a Rotary presence in Docklands, and there should be. So instead of recreating the wheel, 
I had turned to Central Melbourne and asked them if they would assist by developing a branch of Central Melbourne at Docklands to be known as Rotary Docklands. With people from the Docklands community, both those that work and live there, to focus on community projects for Docklands and helping build a community spirit within that area. It's a wonderful concept because previously and still in operation and successfully so, are satellite clubs, but this is a different concept. This is a branch of a current existing club that makes it very, very different and uh, starts it off without all that um, infrastructure that is needed uh, where you have a satellite uh, meeting. This is very, very sensibly done. It will work especially in the Docklands area. I think so. It basically makes the best use of already existing resources in an already existing, um, experienced and strong club. And I, th I think the integration between the Docklands Interest Group and the Central Melbourne members is going to be better served by this being a branch of Central Melbourne with each able to be involved in one another's work. It's clever thinking. What about other clubs in terms of how they go about it? Because Docklands obviously is a separate area within Melbourne, it's a much more defined. But for clubs in the suburbs, how can they go about, clubs that are now 30, 40 years old in terms of uh, them being chartered uh, initially, how can they go about uh, working on gaining membership? There is a structure that Rotary International encouraged a few years back called satellite clubs. And there are, to my knowledge at the moment, five clubs in our district who are all thinking about developing satellites as an alternative way of um, offering Rotary to their community. So for example, the old way has been weekly meetings, uh, sit down for a meal, etc. Um, and we're now disrupting that thinking without disrupting the current membership because they're used to that. So rather than blow up the bridge, we build another one. Well, you've got to retain those members. We do. But you've got to entice new people. And in doing so, we create a satellite environment in which to do that. Are there any other methods whereby new membership can be gained? We're looking at interest groups. For example, Rotary does get involved in mental health research. It gets involved in family violence prevention, homelessness. These are big issues in our community and there are a lot of people that champion those causes and are passionate. So we're looking at potentially developing clubs that are passion related. So it would be a club, for example, that focuses its attention on family violence. In a way, we have that within a number of clubs already, where members are um, where members are helping out where projects exist, like Rotary Club of Melbourne have a big interest in homelessness. But there are individuals from other clubs that, that are working with them on that. I see that um, developing a database of project opportunities. We have our vocational service committee at district level chaired by Alan Seal, building a database uh, called Be Collective, where any club can register their project online and any individual, 
including existing Rotarians and non-Rotarians, can, can load up their interest uh, activities and the system will match those and share that information with both clubs and the individuals. It's good thinking because it's projects that Rotarians want. Many, many Rotarians want to get involved right from the start in Rotary with the project. It's very nice to have all the camaraderie uh, and uh, all that contact, which is very important. It can be professionally important to have that contact, but people want hands-on projects, do they not? They do, and it's, it's fair enough to be tribal in our club environment and say, we do this as a club and we're very proud of that. But we need to lift our eyes up and look around us at bigger opportunities. Big opportunities have big impacts and the community sees those more. So we have these structures called clusters and we have roughly five clubs per cluster. But each club do their own community activities. But every now and then I think the clusters should come together on a larger community project that has been specifically designed in concert and partnership with other community stakeholders like local council, local business people, um, other NGOs within our communities that say this is an issue that we would like dealt with in our community, how can Rotary help with that? And I see that the more we understand that the projects that we offer people to participate in has a lot to do with retention. It has a lot to do with recruitment. Projects and engagement are real big keys. Ian. Absolutely vital. Uh, uh, now, obviously that is people putting into Rotary, getting engaged and feeling good about it. But it can also be very important, can it not, for younger people, young professionals, to get some credit back from Rotary in terms of their professional careers. It looks good on their CVs to be part of Rotary. There is an expectation by a lot of employers of young people these days to see what they've done by way of community service activities. And yes, you've alluded to how that looks on their resume and when they're job seeking. But more to that, I think that the current demographic of Rotary has a dearth of experience and knowledge that when it, you're looking at future emerging leaders, social entrepreneurs, people who are looking to establish their own careers, they would be delighted to be sitting with people at a table or over coffee talking about what they did to succeed in their careers for nothing. I mean, this type of mentoring, let's call it, opportunity for young people is something that I can't believe they are missing. There are, there are a growing number of younger people that see that, but I think Rotary needs to sell that story better. When we talk about a value proposition for young emerging leaders and people with a social uh, entrepreneurial background, I think we should be selling that as a key value proposition to that group. And similarly to the people who are transitioning to retirement, and stepping away from full-time to part-time work and then into retirement. That's another value proposition altogether. They have more time eventually to do things and they want to know what those things might be. So if we have a pre-prepared list of things that we have at club level 
and beyond it. And I've talked about donations in kind and the Intracoma campaign and Australian Rotary Health focusing on mental health prevention. I think if we tell the story, the whole story of what Rotary gets immersed in, then there are going to be more and more people think, hmm, that's interesting, you do a lot more than I thought you do. You know, young people programs, of having public speaking competitions, helping prepare people for the workforce and write resume writing and so on. I just think there's a lot that Rotary doesn't put down as a value proposition that it then on sells. If you like, membership is a product. And if we promote that product to the right people in the right way, I, th I really do believe that more and more will come, that they'll like what they see, and they'll stay. And there's more of a social conscience these days, is there not, from corporations, you know, you hear that term, a good corporate citizen. Uh, and Rotary can provide people with experience in that area, especially younger professionals. Uh, they can become good corporate citizens with Rotary uh, and help their own businesses, can't they? Yeah, I, I agree. I also think that no matter what generation you're from, whether you're from the veterans or the baby boomers or the Gen X or Y or whatever you want to be, nothing's changed in the sense that these people all have a social conscience all in some way, shape or form would like to give back. And Rotary is providing a platform of like-minded people, a 1.3 million people network across the world that can eradicate polio because it decides it should. For example, you can't do that by yourself, Ian. You need to be part of a structured organisation that does have the autonomy to, to choose for itself but then has the ability to click together as a worldwide network to tackle some of the world's biggest problems. And when, when uh, polio is eradicated, we'll get on with something else that is probably just as big. So, look, I see that what's changing the most is corporate social responsibility. Where once upon a time, corporates saw as their main aim is to maximise shareholder value. What's happening now is that there is also a, a value proposition for the good an organisation can do in its community. Rotary has the experience and the corporate nous, because we all come from that background, to be able to say to the corporates, if, this is, if social uh, responsibility is an area you want to get involved in, we can help you do that. We have, for example, in District 9800, over 2,200 members who could be interested in a project that we put together in partnership. So you put in some of your resources and we'll put in ours. Eminently sensible stuff. Neville, how long are you going to remain in the role because the passion that you exude is just marvellous? It would be... It would be impractical for me to do this for one year and move on. So I have agreed to a three-year term and I've finish my term at the end of June 2021. Well, more power to you. Thank goodness you're going to stay in the role because uh, there's been no diminution of your enthusiasm and ardour since you uh, left the role as district governor. It's wonderful to hear 
still bubbling with ideas and still talking uh, so positively about Rotary. Um, now, Neville, if a listener wants to join Rotary, what is the first step they take? Well, I would suggest they jump on a website and wherever they work or live, they would Google Rotary in that suburb to start with. Or to Google the District 9800 website where there's a membership inquiry um, section where they can register their interest in finding out more about Rotary. And the first thing to ask is, can you tell me more about what your Rotary Club or where a Rotary Club might be that suits uh, what I'm trying to achieve? And don't worry about what day of the week they meet, whether it's breakfast, lunch or dinner. Although we have clubs that meet at all of those times and, and can cater for all of those they can. time slots. So the website is the easiest place. Facebook. The district has a Facebook page, District 9800 Discussion Group. And every club, I would suggest by now, has their own Facebook page. So when you search on Facebook, type in Rotary Glen Ferry, Rotary Hawthorne, Rotary Centre Melbourne, and you'll probably see more up-to-date information about what those clubs are doing. Neville, uh, as I say, great enthusiasm, great passion, still bubbling away uh, vigorously from you. And uh, I want to thank you for talking to us on the Rotary Radio Show. As I said at the start, it's always a pleasure to uh, talk with you, and I'm sure that every Rotarian in this district of ours, District 9800, wishes you every success in your role as the membership director. It is a vital role. Uh, next to the district governor, I regard it personally as one of the absolute necessities because you are part of the continuity of Rotary to ensure that that happens. Uh, and uh, for you out there, listeners, this too includes you, for those Rotarians that are already members of Rotary uh, in any district, but especially at District 9800, you've got to be part of the solution as well in attracting new members. You don't just leave it all up to Neville, although he's a very good resource for getting ideas, and I'm sure Neville is easily available to talk to you. Uh, this great organisation and its work needs to stay active and grow, and you're very much part of ensuring that that happens. Thank you very much indeed for talking to us. And thank you, Ian, and thank you for all you're doing to promote the great work of Rotary through this program. Thank you for listening to this podcast. This podcast was produced and presented by Ian Salick of Rotary District 9800 in Victoria, Australia. More podcasts can be found on iTunes by typing into your browser Rotary Radio Doing Good in Victoria or alternatively by going to the Rotary District 9800 website at www.rotarydistrict.com 9800.org.au and clicking on Rotary Radio.